welcome to the Non-Negotiable Success Show. I'm your host, Nina, a New York City lawyer and former lobbyist who left my career in New York to discover my own definition of success. To me, that looked like time freedom, location freedom, and financial freedom. So I started a contract template shop online for entrepreneurs, started earning passive income, and took my life on the road traveling the world. Today, I help online entrepreneurs learn the legal side of business, like how to negotiate contracts, how to network, and how to protect your brand, but I also help busy business owners with tips and tricks I've learned along the way from marketing and sales online, which has earned me four times more in passive income than I've ever earned at a New York City firm. Tune in each week for trainings and talks about living life on your own terms to make your success non-negotiable. Let's get into today's conversation. Hey, and welcome back to the Non-Negotiable Success Show, a place where we define success for ourselves and then relentlessly pursue it. It really doesn't matter what success looks like for you, um, you know, unless you're Ted Bundy. I, I really don't think that that version of success that he probably had in his mind was very, uh, you know, good for the collective. But as long as you're not exploiting others, I think it's fair that you go exploiting or killing, murdering. I think it's then, you know, fair that you go out and pursue success, whatever it means to you. If it means owning a car that is stupid expensive and you want a Bugatti or something, like, great, go for it. If it means that you want to have someone cook your meals every night as a private chef, go for it. If it means that you never have to work a day in your life again because you just get to sit by the beach every day, I'm all for that. If it means that you just want a Hermes bag in every single color on, you know, that that the Birkin bags, like all those rare colors, whatever, you can go for it. If it just means that you finally want to be able to rent an apartment and be able to afford groceries, like, hey, I'm right there with you. And I think that it's it's really important, though, that whatever your definition of success is, you aim even higher because what you think your one-year goal is is probably going to happen in a few months what you think your three-year goal is is probably going to happen in a year year and a half your five-year goal probably three years your 10-year goal probably five years if you keep consistent and if you keep pursuing that true north whatever your definition of success is so I, as you know, as listeners of this podcast, I have been toying with a little bit of what my idea of success is, and I've been really contemplating the future of content creation, the future of online business, because so much is changing with everything going on in the world, with the economy, the change of consumer psychology, um, you know, people in Gen Z, and even in my generation millennials, people are denouncing capitalism. What does that mean for online business? What does that mean for the people telling you to be safe and invest in stocks? What does that mean for people who are working their asses off to try to buy a home? Um, what, is, what does that mean, right? What, what, is the, what is the future going to look like in 10 years when we have 
Gen Z and Gen Alpha really, really taking a prominent entry into the workspace. They are already um, really influencing the way that brands operate and the way brands survive or not, especially in this online era, because you really need to have strong values. You really need to have values that are clear, identifiable, and are authentic and not just performative. Um, That's something that's very important to Gen Z and Gen Alpha. You need to kind of change with the times and adapt with the times as far as work culture and the way that you treat your your staff or the way that you treat if it's an e-commerce brand or an apparel line the way that you treat the manufacturers everybody along the way stuff like that is becoming more transparent and becoming really important when it comes to buying decisions i've never been someone who's been into fast fashion so i can totally relate to why people think that that's super unethical i never really shop at Zara, you know, maybe I have a couple of things there that are basics that I wear for years to come. Same with H&M. I just buy basics there that I use for years and years and years. I don't try to keep up with the trends. Um, I don't shop at Gymshark. I don't shop at any of those fast fashion brands, brands like Shein or whatever. Um, I, I feel like that's something that's on its way out. Um, And I know that it's not really realistic for everybody to buy and spend money on very, very high quality goods that are made with every single point of interaction being extremely ethical and paying everybody their worth because then that's how you get to a place where it's like $75 for a tank top and a lot of people in my generation, Gen Z, they're like, I don't fucking have $75 for a tank top. So I understand there is also a classism aspect of why people do gravitate towards fast fashion. But these are just like the things that I think of all the time. And then it puts me in analysis paralysis. And I don't really go out and like try to sell you something or try to make more money because I'm really taking this time to think and hedge my bet on what what do I think the economy is going to look like in 10 years? What do I think our government structure is going to look like in 10 years? What do I think is going to happen? Because the last three years have showed me that you can't predict anything, right? And I don't think that it's good to be stuck in this culture of just wanting to make more, 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 more money because we don't really know what that means in five years. Like we don't really know if you know you have a bunch of people entering the workspace and a bunch of people entering into the age of being able to control politics if they want more of a marxist society like i know this is kind of like a heavy weird conversation but i actually studied philosophy and the philosophy of um economics and political philosophy as my undergrad degree and then i went to law school and i can tell you one thing even though I got a liberal arts degree in friggin' philosophy and we studied Karl Marx and we studied, you know, the difference between capitalism and socialism and the invisible hand and all this and that. And like, you know, um, uh, what were some of the big names in like Richard Dawkins and philosophy of law and law and responsibility and like why bureaucracies don't really work because you're deferring responsibility from one person to another to another. So nobody actually takes accountability. Like, I studied all of that and I was in school with some of the you know, most liberal thinking, forward thinking minds of my generation at the college I went to. Um, 
you know, that's what happens when you go to a liberal arts school and it's a fucking philosophy degree. You're going to get, you're going to hear people's opinions. You're going to hear people's opinions. I'll tell you that. And I can't even imagine what it's like in those same schools and those same kinds of classes these days. I bet you the conversations took a full 180, right? They're not no they're no longer talking about the dangers of socialism and of Marxism. They're they're straight up, you know, I'm hanging out on TikTok, I'm seeing those comments of everybody talking about how Marxism is great and this and that and like, you know, I have to admit Maybe it's because I was raised by boomers and, you know, the Red Scare and everything. <laughs> like, you know, it's kind of like we all have these preconceived notions and biases that we grew up with because of what I learned that were in my textbooks and the oaths I took to uphold the Constitution and in my pursuit of becoming a, a lawyer to uphold the, the government structure that worked, quote unquote, you know, heavy on the air quotes worked up until this point. And now you're seeing people totally uh, come up with these ideas that you've loosely heard of and you've heard not so great things about and people really taking them and diving deeper into them and talking about why this is better or why this is the thing that we should aim for um, and why capitalism sucks and this and that. And, you know, again, there's definitely situations where the exploitation involved in capitalism is a serious problem. And I do think that for the most part, us in the United States having our, I'm just going to use the word capitalistic. I'm not going to get into semantics here, but us having a capitalistic economy and structure the last, you know, 200 somewhat years, the people who have, really been impacted and affected by that are people in other nations that we've exploited, right? Like, for example, us outsourcing a lot of our manufacturing to different sweatshops, quote unquote, to turn a buck. Or you see a lot of people, even in the online space here, talk about how they hire VAs from other countries because of the pay difference and the quality of work is better because they're more grateful for the work or whatever. And it just, yeah, I don't really know. Like, yeah, four hour work week book by Tim Ferriss definitely had some highlights that changed my mind for the better, but reading it in, you know, 2017 versus reading it in 2019, 2020 a lot changed in those few years where you're like, oh, fuck, like, actually, this is incredibly uh, ex- exploitative. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right pronunciation of that word, but th- you definitely see where capitalism has its downfalls. Um, and even if you look at corporate greed and lobbying for Fortune 500 companies here and I've been learning a lot about insider trading on behalf of politicians like Nancy Pelosi is a big one and there's a few others um, that if you track their their stocks because they have to report what they trade uh, pursuant to federal law, they have to report their, their tradings. And I think on average, they usually report it like 10 to 12 days after they've made the trade. But then you follow like, okay, well, what that what is that company that they bought or sold stock in 
and what what bills is that company lobbying or who are they donating to or what government contracts have they made or lost and you follow the money you learn a lot and you know we look at these leaders in our country as if they are uh there for all the right reasons and a lot of them are not regardless of what side of the spectrum or that they're on, whether they're left or right, Democratic, Independent, Republican, it doesn't matter. It's a generational thing. And I do think that a lot of these older generations of politicians are there because it's power, it's control, and it's insight to information that they get to make better financial decisions with. Like, you know, you have people like Nancy Pelosi talk about how she's independently wealthy. Well, yeah, it's easy to be independently wealthy when when you have all this inside information about these companies that are getting multi-million dollar government contracts and then you can go and trade based off of that information. And, you know, technically it's insider trading and technically it's illegal, but do people get caught? Sometimes, and you have to have a lot of proof and um you know there there's nothing stopping them from being able to from being able to trade in the stock market as a politician aside from their reportings and some other things that you know i'm just at the starting point of like learning about this so i don't really know what the regulations or rules are on but that's another really really uh dangerous facet of our capitalistic society and government structure that we have today. It really is an oligarchy, right? Where an elite few control the government. So these kinds of things, you know, it's not really something that even me, an attorney, someone who studied the philosophy of different government economic structures, you know, over 10 years ago now, uh, it's not something that I feel comfortable educating on or talking about really, because I still feel like I don't understand everything. And for me to feel like I don't understand what's going on is scary because then I think of all the quote unquote lay people, as we say in the law, like the people who aren't formally trained in, you know, whatever industry it is, law in this case and politics, I think about how unfair it is in that regard too and how scary it can be um, when thinking about like, our future and our well-being and the and the disparities in our economic system. And this has nothing to do for purposes of this conversation. It's everything to do with class, working class, social status and everything. That doesn't even take into account all of the racial inequalities, the systemic racism over the years, the institutional racism, and it's just it's a lot to think about and it's a lot to then just ignore when you see people still talking about how they're making 100k months and like oh join my training on xyz thing and yeah learn how to blah 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 and start an online business it's like yeah starting an online business is great but what's going to happen in three years i want to know what's going to happen when the regulations start coming or when the government structure starts changing or like i don't know is the constitution like I remember asking my professor in con law, constitutional law in law school, like, why do we all say the Constitution is the standard? Like, why? Where did we all agree? And she's like, oh, it's a very strong dark document. It's a very, very strong contract. I was like, yeah, but like people breach contracts all the time. Like, why? Why are we all agreeing to this? Like, I still didn't even understand. Like, it was kind of one of those because we said so answers. And I was like, well, that's not really going to. 
that doesn't really sound too reassuring to me. So there's times too where I wonder like, am I, is there going to be in America for me to be a lawyer for like forever? Like what's going on? So it makes these things seem kind of trivial sometimes when you see people selling trainings on like, you know, how to start an online business or how to, you know, make sales online or how to, uh, start, you know, an, an Amazon FBA business or, or here's how I make money on my Amazon storefront. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go and pursue these entrepreneurial ventures. I'm not saying you shouldn't go and sell things, but I'm thinking, well, what's my plan A? What's my plan B? What's my plan C, D, E, and F for when everyone's like, fuck this shit. And like, what comes after America? Like, what's gonna happen? Like, we cannot ignore the fact that like, there's a lot going on in the world. And I feel like it's very irresponsible to just continue as if everything that has happened in our country and economy so far is taken for granted. Like when, when people talk about investing and stuff and they're like, yeah, dips happen all the time. We went through this in 2008. We went through this in the Great Depression. We went through this in the 80s, whatever. It's like, okay, yeah, but coupled with everything else, I'm just not sure. I just don't know because we are in the information age now. Like, yeah, I know back then you also had the Vietnam War and this and that, but we got a bunch of like underground wars and you got New York City sending out these public service announcements about what to do if, in case of a nuclear fallout. And the first thing they say is don't ask us questions, just here's the information. Get undercover, stay undercover, and then stay tuned for help. It's like, who the fuck is gonna? Wh- what building is gonna stand if we get nuked? And and where? Who 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 am I gonna get get, get information from? Like CNBC is gonna put out like a, a news twenty four seven news channel about this. Like what? There's gonna be Wi Fi. Like I'm confused. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot going on in the world right now. And I just feel, not to be a Debbie Downer, um, I just feel like I need to take a step back. I'm not focusing on selling anything. I'm not focusing on being 10 steps ahead of thinking about the new business or whatever. Because even if we don't live in, you know, uh, let's say a country that has the same economic structure and and capitalistic society, if you want to call it that, that we've had in America for the last 200 somewhat years, there's still business, right? Like obviously in other nations, regardless of the business and economic structure, there's still businesses that exist. There's still things that need to get done and it's still worth your while to hone a craft, to be creative, to focus on selling, to focus on how to adapt with the times and be entrepreneurial but i also think it's foolish to just say like oh yeah well this happens all the time and this happened you know 10 years ago with like the 2008 crisis and everything's going to go back to normal everything's going to be okay because it's like we don't really know that and i think for everybody to say like oh yeah it's always been fine after i mean every great empire falls the roman empire the greek empire there were so many empires in Asia that came before that that fell, right? Like there are so many empires, like the, the Byzantine Empire and like all those ones you hear from ancient history, right? Like the Olmecs and the Aztecs and the Maya, like, you know, we can't just say like, oh yeah, these things happen because 
history repeats itself, sure, like we will bounce back maybe for an economy in the stock market, but history repeats itself in the sense that like strife and war is real as well. And I think it's just, I feel like that also adds to the climate of why a lot of people aren't really showing up online in the way that they were when it comes to selling things and selling business advice, because it truly is a trial and error era of business, of life. And that's what I'm leaning into. I'm leaning into feeling creative and having fun and thinking about how I can um, transmute these lessons into or these like this fear into something that's a lesson to make me feel prepared for whatever is to come, right? I think that hoarding money is not the answer because who knows what the value of the dollar will be in a year, in five years, right? I don't think hoarding money is the answer. I think being resourceful is the answer. I think diversifying your income is always a good idea. So if you have money to invest in a stock market, yeah, sure, go for it. Also have an emergency fund, but don't act like, oh, it's guaranteed. I, I just can't wrap my head around it. Maybe it's because like people will be like, oh, you don't know anything about investing. Blah, blah, blah. But sometimes I feel like people who know too much about an industry like they're blinded, they have blinders on and they take it for granted. Just like I, it would be easy for me to be like, oh, America will always be around. The constitution is a very strong contract. It's a very strong doc- document. It's like, yeah, I'm sure a lot of lawyers think that, but I'm trying to like step outside of that blinder and be like, mm, isn't this really like, is it really? A lot of people have a lot of problems with it right now. You know, Just like people who know a lot more about investing than I do, act like I'm foolish or scared, you know, they understand, thinking like, oh, well, you got to be in it for the long run, like 10 years plus, 30 years plus for retirement. I'm like, retirement? Like, what? If New York City is, if, if they know something that I don't know, and there's some kind of thing that's going to happen, they called it the big one in the ad. It's like a New York City government ad that they put out and they're like, oh yeah, the big one is going to come. We're like, the big one? What, what small ones? Did I miss a small one? Is a sm- what, what happens if a small one comes? Like, what, 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 are small ones inevitable and we're just waiting for the big one? Like, what's going on? So I think that people, there's a really, really loud truck going by my house. Um, I think that it's like, I don't I don't want to be ignorant and I don't want to be like foolish to think oh yeah well if I invest my money in 40 years it'll be there for me and then I can buy a condo in Delray Beach Florida like you know everyone in the friggin 1950s thought you know because what worked for my 75 year old dad is not going to work for me I don't think and that's how this knowledge and and these steps to success got passed down, right? Especially if you have information emerging and new algorithms. Um, I think on TikTok, it's called Quiverquaint. It's a guy, he developed a software to kind of track the tradings of politicians. And he is, he developed algorithms to kind of see like, okay, what are these politicians selling? What are they trading? Kind of the stuff I was talking about before. And with more information and more data coming out about that, how do we know that certain stocks that everybody took for granted, you know, like 
who was it, Warren Buffett, that was like, oh, yeah, if you put money in an index fund, S&P 500, you're always going to beat the market over time. It's like, yeah, that worked for the last hundred years, but how do we know this time that it's going to continue to work, you know? So it might be good to put your money in stocks, might be good to have an emergency fund, might be good to put your money into buying farmland, might be good to put your money into buying a sailboat and just getting out into the fucking open sea, right? Maybe maybe it makes sense to, to buy, spend your money uh, relocating to another country. Maybe it makes sense to, I don't know, whatever, again, going back to your definition of success. I definitely think there's certain keys that are good diversifying your income. And if you have business, start to get into the place where you don't have to necessarily be the decision maker, the one on the ground. You're taking some of your earnings, some of your profit, and you're investing into other businesses. Maybe that's in an angel investor way. I know there's a big trend right now with very, very savvy influencers starting to become angel investors where they are taking their profits and instead of coming out with their own influencer-based brand, they are investing in other brands. I know the first influencer I heard of doing this was Nicole Kogan from No Bread. She's also from Long Island, where I grew up, and she went to Cornell, which is my neighboring school. I went to Binghamton. Um, Binghamton was like for all the people who got deferred getting into Cornell. And then, like, they had this program where, like, oh, if you don't get into Cornell the first semester, you can go to Binghamton for a year or first semester and then transfer to Cornell. But most people ended up just staying at Binghamton because we were just like there anyway and we had friends or whatever. So, it's called like the public Ivy because it's a New York state school. But I just feel like a camaraderie with people who went to Cornell, even though they're probably like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, bitch, you didn't go to Ivy League school. You went to the state school. But as far as we were concerned in Binghamton, we were like, yeah, we might as well be Cornell. Like, So I don't know. Obviously, she is very smart. I do say so myself. And she, I think, studied like finance or business of some sort, worked and Wall Street or for a top four, the big four, whatever it's called, like accounting. I don't know what she did. I just vaguely remember that. Um, Because like I said, being from Long Island and being in that same kind of uh, upstate New York prestigious college kind of community, you know a lot of the same people. You kind of hear bits and pieces of people's story. And uh, I just know that she is one of the first people who she became a blogger. She was blogging about, uh, true to her name, no bread. She was blogging about, about gluten-free options in restaurants and stuff like before it was popular. She's probably about my age, give or take a year. So 30 in her early 30s and, you know, 10 years ago, more during college, there wasn't really a big uh, scene for gluten-free stuff, right? Like you really had to know what are the restaurants in the city that have gluten-free options like where can i get a gluten-free bagel what are gluten-free recipes right almond milk was like just a thing that was starting to be served at coffee shops right so she became a blogger then she became an influencer she got brand deals and then from what i understand over the last few years she's been leveraging that income into investing into other brands and a lot of them that she'll talk about are I think she invested in like three wishes cereal which is like a healthy alternative for like very sugary sweet cereals we loved growing up like you know chocolate 
Oreos and Fruit Loops and shit like that. And I think that's smart because you're taking away some of the control and responsibility and you're investing in people and brands that align with your values. And, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into investing. There's a lot of meetings. There's a lot of um, money that you have to have in order to get to that point, of course. And depending on what your relationship is, what your engagement is, you might still need to um, you might still need to have some kind of role in the day-to-day operations, but usually if you're an investor and you're giving funds, you kind of do that instead of giving your manpower and your opportunity cost to that business. So it's rare, but sometimes you do as an investor also play a role and like a consulting role or a managerial role, maybe, but I would hope that if that's the case, you're also getting paid back um, some kind of salary or, or something else as well. There's different ways you can structure loans, investments. I mean, look at Shark Tank, right? All of those people on the Shark Tank panel are great, great, great examples of businesses that came and started in one industry. Like you have Barbara Corcoran who started in real estate. You have... I forget what his name is, but he started in fashion. You have Mark Cuban. I don't even know what he started in. Why do I feel like it's some kind of like, I I don't know why I feel like he started in like gadgets and gizmos. Like, I don't fucking know. All I just know is like, you know, those names, they're household names. But the fact that I can't even, I don't even know what Mark Cuban started in uh, or Kevin, you know, the, the Mr. Wonderful, whatever his name is. The fact that I can't even like think about what they started in just goes to show how you can really evolve past that by investing in different businesses, in different industries, and diversifying your own portfolio so that you don't need to rely on the stock market. You're relying on businesses that you know, right? And then if it does go public and become a publicly traded company, guess what? That benefits you as well because as someone who is an early investor, you probably have a lot of shares, And when it goes public, you probably get a big payday, right? So, or you'd hope if you invest well. There's other um, influencers that do this as well because I've seen other creators kind of talk about how that's the new um, savvy pathway for a lot of these influencers because we've seen the rise and fall of a lot of influencer brands. Um, Not every influencer brand, especially if it's a beauty brand or a space that has a lot of competition, does well and soars away with flying colors. A lot of people pump money into a product-based business and it takes a lot of money to start a product-based business and it takes a lot of time to get an ROI, to get a return on your investment if you ever do, right? Like that's where you hear the statistics where, oh, like it takes three years on average for a business to become profitable and most businesses fail within their seven, first seven years. Like that's kind of where those statistics, I feel like, heavily sway the the whole pool of businesses and become the statistic um and i feel like it is a really deep commitment but if you're just an investor you help that business hopefully succeed right by giving them the funds to get the capital to go into research and development or get the capital to go into um you know a, a new manufacturing plant i don't know if that's the right terminology but to, to make a better quality product for cheaper, right? To, to go into marketing, to tap into a different global market aside from just the States. So that's where you get that kind of ability uh, from investors to hopefully not just become a statistic. And I think that a lot of influencers, they start out, they're not exactly business savvy. They 
they become business savvy and learn on their feet. But um, it, it's a great way, like bec- becoming an investor rather than starting your own influencer-based business. I feel like it's a great way for you to learn and to still continue to get mentoring from other investors. You're, you're hearing when you invest in a company and you're having a shareholders meeting or a meeting with investors like you know they're they're filling you in quarterly on what's going on with where your money is going what their plans are you're seeing pitch decks you're seeing all these reports it's a great way for you to learn and compare that business to another business to another industry you're getting pitched all the time from businesses that maybe you don't invest in it's a great way for you to become more business savvy and uh because if you have the money already but you just maybe don't have the skills to start a business from scratch and make it profitable, investing can be a great way. You know, I'm sure there's people that will disagree with me, but that's just from my perspective. Um, As someone who just, I always believe like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I know I talk a lot on my podcast and I talk a lot on my channel uh, in, in terms of TikTok and Instagram and workshops that I give. And it's like, I feel comfortable talking about certain things to certain audiences but I've spent a fair share of my career being the silent onlooker in rooms, just absorbing information um, because I feel like sometimes I would rather put myself in a position where I'm not the smartest, best and brightest in that industry or in that situation just so I can observe and have a seat at the table where I'm listening to people who are way smarter than me or way more experienced, like kind of talk to the room as a collective and I'm just kind of like observing the conversations. So I personally love that. I feel like the older I get, the more I lean into that. I would say probably from maybe like 27 to now. So the last five years, I've really leaned into that role. It's quite different than what you see as, you know, someone who's listening to my podcast. But I do think that like when I'm, investing in learning for my career like I'm not talking a lot at all I'm just like listening and meeting with people who they they don't even ask my opinion because it doesn't matter I'm just there to learn right and that doesn't mean you can't ask questions um or anything but you got to know when is when is your turn to just sit and listen and how to get into those situations where you are able to just listen and with the advent of technology like social platforms like YouTube and different podcasts, you can be an innocent bystander in a room by just listening to conversations with people on a podcast, right? So that's one way I do it. But in New York, when I was lobbyist, I was definitely sitting in a lot of rooms just listening. Um, I wasn't talking just to talk. I wasn't talking just to add to the conversation. People wanted those meetings to be done as quickly as possible. So if I didn't have to ask a question, you know, for my job or for clarification, then like, I'm just sitting there taking notes, right? Learning. And I can always follow up with an email or whatever when you get their, their information. So I, I think that investing, uh, being like an angel investor could be that kind of option for a lot of influencers. And I think that's great. I think if you have the capital, that's a good way to do it. You even see people like Grant Cardone, as problematic as I think he is. I don't have specifics. He just rubs me the wrong way. Him and his wife, I don't know. I just don't get good vibes. I've only watched one YouTube video from him. And it was the one where they bought like their new private jet. And they were so annoying to me. They were just annoying. I don't know. But whatever. 
one other thing he said, maybe like I tried to watch another five seconds of a different YouTube video was he was talking about the recession and why now's a great time to buy up other businesses because they already have the business model. They already have maybe the name, but if you have the funds, invest and buy up other businesses so that you can put the money back into it that it needs to still remain profitable because people run out of money. That's why a lot of businesses fail, right? Especially brick and mortar, maybe some e-commerce, things like that. They don't have the money to get it to the next level. So you invest in those businesses. So that I think is great advice from people who are way richer than me. If you, if you define success with how much money you have, then they're more successful. They have a lot of money and they diversify their portfolios by investing in other businesses, whether it's people on Shark Tank, people like Grant Cardone, influencers, that's something that across the board people are doing. And I think that's a great idea. I think it's a great alternative to investing in the stock market. And you know, if you find the right business, you don't need to put in a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. Like if you have an extra $20,000 laying around that you created in this business, that could go towards something. It can go and invest in a real estate project. Maybe it's a someone's building a condo building or they're building a hotel. Uh, maybe if you have an extra $20,000 or $10,000, you can put into someone's e-commerce business, right? There's so many ways to skin a cat. Sorry for the vegans and the PETA people in the room, but that's a saying that, you know, it just rolls off my tongue. There's a lot of ways to skin a cat. There's a lot of ways to get creative when it comes to investing in other companies. So if you do have any amount of income that you're thinking, you know, it's not going into your emergency fund, it's not going into the fund that you need to buy a house or buy a car or raise, you know, a kid. If you're, if you're planning on getting pregnant or you're pregnant, you have young ones, maybe that's not the money that you invest, right? But if you do have that extra money, look for opportunities, look through the world through the lens of opportunity and one might come to you, right? Look into investing. The other alternative I wanted to talk about, which this episode took a crazy turn. None of the, none of anything that I talked about so far has been planned. I came in here to plan to talk about the power of personal brands and licensing out your name, image, likeness, and how a lot of media moguls in the past have done so. People like Oprah, Martha Stewart, the Olsen twins, Bethany Frankel, Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian, and her whole family. People like that really have grown these empires, multi, multi, multi-million, if not billion dollar empires from doing just that. And that is something that, you know, really paved the way for influencer, the influencer and creator economy. And the fact that your content is your moneymaker, your name, image, likeness, your, your IP is your moneymaker and how to leverage using those licensing, uh, using that licensing to build a diverse portfolio in that way. But I think that it works for some, it doesn't work for others. Um, you still have to be very business savvy and know who to partner with and trust the people you're partnering with because you don't want to put your name and your image on something that doesn't go well. That's where we see a lot of influencers coming into the industry trying to form an influencer founded business and it doesn't go so well because maybe they didn't team up with the right people. Maybe they didn't trust the right people. Maybe they didn't have the skills or experience and they were in over their heads a little bit, which is sad. And I don't think people should be shot down for that. I think everybody deserves a second chance in business. Um, But I do think that a lot of times people just get in over their heads. They run out of money, like I said, and then it just becomes something that comes off as like a scam or fraud or, or this or that, you know, a product that doesn't work. And then it kind of smears their reputation and then ruins their ability to license out their name for a future product, right? 
So I think that the angel investing route is good for some people who want to learn, people who have the money laying around, and the uh, building your own brand is great for others. And then being able to license your name and image and, and likeness, so they say, to other companies, other manufacturers, other retailers works as well. Mary-Kate and Ashley Olson were a great example of that, how they really became household names. They were one of the first people, aside from Oprah and Martha Stewart, to do that back in the 90s. And they built almost a billion-dollar empire by the time they were 18. And then it went into their name. And they continued to do licensing for people that came after them on the Disney Channel, like Zach and Cody. Uh, I watched a documentary about that on YouTube from this channel called Deep Dive. It's called like the truth about Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. And I plan to dive more into the licensing aspect and how to really grow and scale your brand as a content creator, you know, using your name and your content as your assets. I will do that in the next, in the next episode though, because this one is already getting kind of like long and rambly and a lot to take in. So I will leave it at that for now. But just know that like these are the things that I'm thinking about. These are the things that I'm researching because I want to help people recession-proof their business and not just like do it out of fear. Like we're not doomsday preppers here, right? We're living our lives. But at the same time, I don't want to be ignorant to what's going on in the world. I don't want to be ignorant thinking that just because things haven't changed drastically in the last hundred years, as you know, as far as our economy and government structure is concerned, doesn't mean that it can't change, right? Um, I don't want to scare anybody. I want to empower people, but I really think that some of the best ways across borders, um, across countries, nation states, different economy styles, whatever, some of the best ways to really like ensure your wealth remains is to diversify your income through like maybe yeah sure investing in the stock market right i don't really know too much about that like i'm a newbie at that right but like investing in your personal brand for licensing and all of that that i'll talk about next episode and investing in other companies right because there's also no obligation that it has to be an American company, obviously, I'm sure there's different rules and different laws for different countries, but it maybe might be something stable for you to consider um, a great way to also secure your or feel secure as things change is to maybe look into getting other passports or other residencies. I officially got my Mexican temporary residency, so I'm a resident as of the next four years, um, which is great even if I don't stay here, like it's nice to know that that's an option. Also, once the Italian consulate is open in my state, again, applying for my Italian passport because I qualify due to my family being in Italy. I think it was like you had to have a grandfather, someone on your father's side. (laughs) I know it's like very patriarchal. They, you know, hence the term grandfathered in, but you, um, I think it's like if you had ancestors there before 1918 or something, you can get your citizenship. And my family moved to America on both sides of my family, like my mom and my dad's sides. They've all immigrated here around the turn of the century. It's like 1900s, 1910, 1911-ish. 
that's when everyone from my ancestry immigrated to uh, America. They came through Ellis Island in New York and I'm quote unquote 100% Italian in case anyone was wondering um, because people do ask me sometimes but my cousin got like the 23andMe thing and there's some other stuff in there like Turkish ancestry and other stuff that was whitewashed and erased from my culture you know in typical fucking ancient ignorant style but um yeah as far as i know officially i am of 100 percent italian descent ancestry and i'm glad that they got out before like you know italians became a crazy fascist country but um you know, during the Second World War and whatever. But um, that's something that I plan on getting and pursuing as well because then that will open up the door to owning property in Italy if I want to move there or if I want to travel Europe more, right? You can do more with that passport and doors that won't open with, you know, an American passport maybe five, ten years from now. Again, because God knows what's going to go on. Maybe they'll open with a different passport and then you'll have accounts and different currencies and it's just a smart way to prepare yourself for like what might come in the world as long as you do it in a way that's not trying to exploit anyone and you're just looking to just have a little bit of a safe you know in different countries um i'm not talking about like hiding your money in panama or some shit for tax evasion like i'm talking about like just being able to you know freely move across borders and having money in different currencies might help. These are not things that I have, by the way, but these are things that I like am thinking of pursuing. Like I don't even have a bank account here in Mexico, but now I can open one um, with my residency. But yeah, it's helpful to just think, just take the extra time to think about the way that world might change. Don't be scared, but just think about things and industries and different styles of work or making money or earning a livelihood that transcend these borders that transcend um you know whatever could go wrong in the world anything short of like you know nuclear fallout or whatever like just think about ways uh that you can really be successful in the long run and again this is not like a doomsday prep episode i hope but it's just like opening up your eyes to the possibility of doing other things. These are also very off-the-tongue conversations. Like, these are not well-researched things I'm talking about. Like, this is not, like, an essay on how to recession-proof your business. Like, this is this is just my thoughts, the inside of my head. So, disclaimer, this is not, like, advice and necessarily what I'm doing. These are things that I'm thinking about instead of being fearful i'm transmuting that fear into trying to be creative and think of ways that maybe i can have a better future or a more reliable future if shit hits the fan so that's my full disclosure i will definitely be back in the next episode with a more cohesive and well thought out essay like audio essay kind of style podcast about uh, the licensing aspect I mentioned earlier. So going through the history of, you know, Oprah, um, Martha Stewart, the Olsen twins, Paris Hilton, and kind of doing a deep dive on that. 
no pun intended, considering the idea came from the deep dive YouTube video. Um, and when I, when I publish that episode, I will definitely link and give credit to the deep dive. Uh, at least I'm 99% sure it was the deep dive channel. I'll have to check which channel it definitely was, but I'll link to that channel and link to the video because they have a lot of really interesting content on there. And, um, although the licensing and the legal side of things came from, from, you know, my thoughts, I did get inspired to even think to look into that from watching their video on Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen, which was very interesting. So of course, I'm all about giving credit where credit's due. So in the next episode, when I dive into there, I'll, I'll post all the links and everything in the description of the episode. This way you can go and check out the videos yourself if you want to learn more. So thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. Hope I didn't scare you too much. Um, and thank you for everyone who's been reaching out and letting me know that you've been listening to the episodes. It helps to put faces to ears um, because, you know, the podcast app that I use doesn't really um, show you like who is listening. It's not like someone liking your video or anything where you can see who it is. So I appreciate everyone who's listening. And please, 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 um, if you can, just leave a review on iTunes or Spotify. I don't really ever ask, but I think it's something that can help have this podcast reach more audiences. This way I can continue to invest time making more of these episodes and diving deeper and doing more um, cohesive, well-thought-out, well-researched topics because then I'm able to, like, with the more people that this podcast is um, reaching, then I'm able to put more and more resources into it. So thank you for everyone who is here. I appreciate you. Please, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram, as I think most of you do, um, or email or whatever, but I appreciate your thoughts as always and uh, any commentary that you might have on any of these episodes as well. I'm always learning and I, nothing in this podcast is ever claiming to be truth or gospel. I'm just, again, like letting my thoughts roll off the tip of my tongue in most of these episodes, but I'm excited to get back to some more scripted and well-researched, well-thought-out topics as well, like I will in the next one about licensing. So I'll see you then.